As my agent once told me, she's like, you wouldn't be a writer if you weren't neurotic. Taylor Stevens. I'm here with my good friend Steve Campbell for uh, the podcast, which does continue our unnamed podcast. And we are here to have fun and talk about books and writing and characters and just off the cuff stuff with you, our wonderful listeners. Taylor, you do know that the podcast has a name. It's called The Taylor Stevens Show. Oh, this is always going to be the unnamed (laughs) podcast because Taylor Stevens just sounds so pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) And if iTunes knows it that way, that's okay. But our listeners will know it's the unnamed podcast. So what are we talking about today? What are we doing? I think we're all over the map today, aren't we? We are, sort of. What we're doing today is uh, you you posted something on Facebook asking for questions. So this is going to be the first of our monthly Q&A sessions. As long as we get enough questions, you're going to spend your time answering them. And I'm just going to sit back and occasionally ask one and then maybe sip some tea or something. Tea? You sure? But this show is... (laughs) Well, it's it's a dark-colored liquid. Um, For those of us who are in New York or around New York, going to be in New York in a week or so. Yeah, July 11th, I believe, if I haven't cross-wired my dates here. Mm-hmm. It's a Saturday. Um, I'm not doing a formal event. I'm going to be in town for Thriller Fest and taking care of some stuff there. And so I've arranged to stop in at Mysterious Bookshop, and I'm going to sign books there for them. And any readers or fans in the area who'd like to come by and just hang out with me, I'm just going to stay at the store, and um, I'll be there at 5 o'clock, and we'll just chat. I'll just sit and chat and be friends until either nobody's there or the store closes, whichever <laughs> comes first. <laughs> well, sounds like fun. And a couple other things before we get to the question. Uh, a couple other reviews that I want to mention. Um, these are what, iTunes reviews? These are iTunes reviews. Thank Ooh, you. Fine. And uh, we mentioned this in the last show, the, how important iTunes reviews are for discoverability. They move you up in the rankings, and they make it more likely that other people will discover the show who don't already know about your books. And, and we want more of those people, right? Yes, yes please. Okay. A uh, couple reviews. One from, looks like, Ms. Reich. Okay. Uh, this is short and to the point. And uh, there's a common theme about about these reviews. People seem to love you. Uh, oh, this, this well, one, I love you too. <laughs> absolutely fascinating woman and books. True statement, I think. True well, statement. Thank you. Okay. And yes. then MKS Richardson. Uh, adore all of her books and now i get to listen to her also fantastic oh i love you thank (laughs) you both of you wonderful people whoever you are you make my day i love you so if you want taylor to love you on the air (laughs) go and leave a review it's really easy um if you're if you're listening on your iphone it you just Click the leave a review thing. It, it's just that simple. If you listen on iTunes or if you have an iTunes account, you can go and you can leave a review. And uh, we'll be forever grateful. I certainly will. Okay. Be. Are you ready for some questions? Yes. Okay. First question. This is from Phil. Phil, thanks for the question. Okay. And this is from my Facebook page, Yes, right? it is. These are the questions okay. on your Facebook page. 
last week, we put out a call for other questions that, that people could email you, and, and we'll probably do that every couple of weeks where we'll just put the call out so that people can ask these questions. And then roughly once a month, we'll have a Q&A show because I think this is fun. It is. Okay. Uh, Phil asked if you would discuss character development versus plot development. And then he continues with how much of the Monroe character did you actually plan and how much of it changed as the story of the informationist grew, or I I would add as the series has, has grown. Well, that is two separate questions because one is the, the writer asking and the other is the reader asking Phil, I love that you're a writer and a reader. Um, As, as from a writer's perspective, both are, very important, but it depends a lot on what type of genre you're writing in. In thrillers, you're you're required to keep the action moving. And generally speaking, most books come, most book contracts call for a certain number of words. A lot of people don't realize this. So if you if your contract calls for a hundred thousand words, which I think is pretty standard for a thriller, and you know, they'll let you fall on either side of those. And you come in with a book that's 150,000 words, well, they're going to try and cut that down. They're like, it's going to get edited Mm -hmm. down with your help. And so if you have to choose in a thriller between character development or plot development, well, usually the character is what gets sacrificed first. But if you don't have a character that people can get behind and the character is too wooden, then, then the story will fall flat. So they're both critical. But it really does depend on on what you're writing as to which one you have to focus on more. So I don't know if that answers that so question. So when, when you were writing The Informationist, chicken or egg, what came first, the story or Monroe? Well, I'm kind of an anomaly because my answer is neither. I had a place. I wanted to write about Equatorial Guinea. But because I had very little concept of genre and most of the books that I had read were exciting books— mm-hmm also known as thrillers or suspense, that's how I understood fiction to be. So I wanted to write about Equatorial Guinea in a way that was exciting, like the books that I was reading. So I didn't have a character and I didn't have a plot. And both in my case, they both developed sort of simultaneously. Once I knew the location that I was going to be writing about, I needed a character that could deal with that location. But who Monroe was a character wasn't really fully developed until the book was nearly finished because I did have to go back a number of times and rewrite because as I learned to write and I I learned to write by writing the informationist, uh, my, my quality of writing grew, my, my crafting improved and I had to go back and rewrite in order to get the earlier chapters to match more or less the, the later chapters. And in a lot of that rewriting, a lot of the character development also came about. And how much has Monroe changed in your mind uh, throughout the life of the series? Has, has there been um, – obviously, there's a character arc. So I, I don't mean character arc, but were there things that you – personality traits that, that you emphasized in The Informationist that you de-emphasized in later books? Like, for example, we mentioned a couple weeks ago um, the biblical quotes. Right. Um, there's not really been anything that I've intentionally de-emphasized. Uh, one thing I've learned that I've had to do is try and explain her motives a little bit better. Like I get why she does why she does. Obviously, you know, I made her. <laughs> but uh, like, for example, in The Catch, 
it, it didn't seem that a lot of people understood that it's possible for a woman like her to do something, save somebody just because, because she's in a depressed state and because she just doesn't freaking care about anything. And so her decisions are made with absolutely zero self-interest involved. Like what, what the F I don't care. Mm -hmm. So she, she does things just to stay alive. Right. But a lot of people took it like, I don't understand how this character, this character was so attached to these people that she went out and, and put her life on the line for that. Well, she wasn't. That's the whole thing. So I've learned that if I don't explain it well enough in the, like her, her mind well enough, um, a lot of people will miss what's actually going on with the character because it's so different from the everyday experience that they are familiar with. Okay, good answer. Next couple of questions come from John. John actually asked four questions, but I'm going to cut it down to two, which I think are the, probably the best for this episode. Uh, the first one probably really applied to you uh, early on, and it applies to a lot of writers. How do you get past perfectionism? I don't really know if you ever do, which is not necessarily a bad thing, because when you're a perfectionist, you're continually striving to be better. Where it becomes a problem is if you let that perfectionism keep you from getting finished. So like we had talked about in a previous podcast, how I never, I refuse to do a reading. Mm -hmm. I cringe at my own writing because as, as I go back, I can see all the mistakes. Well, if I had let those mistakes stop me from turning in the book, then we never have any of these stories because I will never be a perfect writer. And, and that's the thing is that there is no perfect book and you can't be perfect. You absolutely can't because even if you're 100% perfect, someone's still going to trash you <laughs> because you're not going to be perfect to them. So what you're going for is as good as you can possibly get it. And when you hit the law of diminishing returns and you're just spending the same time going over and over and over and, and it's not really getting you any better, then call it quits and move on because done is better than perfect. Yes. And is, how did deadlines come into play with that? If your deadline was magically extended by six months, would you spend another six months perfecting the book? Or would you say, I, I've reached the point of diminishing returns. I'm going to just move on to the next book. I think there was a time when I would have spent a lot of time trying to make it better. But what I've learned is that better to you doesn't necessarily mean better to the readers. Like of all the books that I've written, the catch was the one that is probably the most technically perfect as far as a literary sense. It is the, the most accurate. It is the, the, the work that went into making that book good and well-written and um, just true to life was extensive. And there are readers who that's what they're looking for and they're blown away by it. And they, they were just like, Oh my God, I I've never read this in a thriller before, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of readers weren't looking for that. And they just found it like, this is my least favorite of all the books because they just wanted a story that moved fast. So all that effort for the most part was wasted because my core audience 
didn't appreciate it to the extent that I had intended it. So I learned it's not worth it. It's, if, if you're going to spend an extra three months agonizing over everything, very, very few people are actually going to appreciate that agony. So why are you doing this to yourself? Just tell the story mm-hmm. and be done with it. And I love the way you so often refer to yourself as a storyteller rather than something else, some, some literary creature. You're a storyteller. I'm a storyteller. That's all it is. And, and so I try to make the storytelling as clean and as, not, I don't want to say literary, but as um, literate <laughs> as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I feel that the more often you hiccup a reader through the sentences that the reader has to double back to understand what you're saying, the more they get pulled out of a story. So I try to make it as clean flowing. And when, when you read a book that's like that, and it doesn't matter if it's a heady book or a really light and fluffy book that's just fun. When you read a book that feels almost effortless to read it, that's, that's master craft right there. And so I strive for that. doesn't mean that I always succeed. And sometimes I go too far over, which is what maybe the catch was, uh, for, for my core audience. And, but, but really all it is, is, is storytelling and words are important, but they're not more important than the story. Okay. I'm going to, there, John has a second question and I want to get back to that. So don't let me forget it. But I think this is a nice segue into a question that Michael asked, which is interesting from uh, the perspective of of someone who wants to write. And that question is, how do you overcome the sense or the question of what's the point, who gives a crap about what you want to write? Well, the only way to do that is to say, who gives a crap? (laughs) Because not everybody's going to, I mean, what are you writing? You know, war and peace, or are you just telling a story? And, and are you trying to change the world? Are you trying to put out some new spiritual enlightenment? Because that type of stuff matters if people give a crap. But if all you're doing is telling a story, well, everybody wants to be entertained. We spend countless hours in front of square boxes, TVs, computers, Kindles, Nooks, all movie theater screens, all for entertainment. So if you're going to entertain people, then of course they're going to give a crap because people want to be entertained. So don't take yourself too seriously. All you're doing is trying to make people want to kill time reading what you write. And it's not, you know, the, the fate of the world doesn't hang on it. Does it make sense, though, that somebody who's in a dark room alone writing for hours, days, weeks, months at a time might have those thoughts? Of course. But I mean, that you wouldn't. As my agent once told me, she's like, you wouldn't be a writer if you weren't neurotic. (laughs) You just can't give in to them is all. Um, And, and you, you know. It's a hard, it's it's a really hard one because, you know, of course I still go through that, you know, every time I put out a new book, you know, I'm just bracing for all the things that are wrong with it and, you know, critics and la 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 la. It's just a part of life. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, you doubt yourself, but you just have to say, so what? And, and if you want to write, you just have to write. And it could happen that you write something and it sucks and nobody wants to read it. And, Okay, but you know it's not 
it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Doesn't it doesn't say that you're a bad person or you're insufficient or anything. It's just that maybe they didn't like the story. And so you tell another one. Sounds like a healthy attitude. All right, I'm going to get back to John's second question now. And this is I'm not exactly sure what he's asking here. I I think I know what it is, so I'm just going to read it verbatim. Okay. How to figure out your writing style or how does one figure out one's writing style? Just based on how I think I understand that question, I think your writing style, which is another way of saying voice when they talk about, you know, the writers have a particular voice, is to write a lot. Just keep writing and writing and writing. And over time, the way you tell the story, which is voice, um, it, it solidifies and you find your rhythm and you find your, your way of doing it. Don't read other authors and try and say, oh, I like the way that they tell a story and I'm going to try and copy that because that just is going to mess you up. Just tell the story and find your own way of doing it. And like I said, when I was writing The Informationist, the first book in the series, I was probably maybe halfway or more through the book before I started to find my voice. So it's not something you sit down and consciously say, this is how I'm going to write a story. It's that as you get comfortable with writing and as you get comfortable with storytelling, your way of doing it becomes the way that you do it. You know, it occurs to me that it would be wonderful for all of our listeners to be able to get writing advice for you from you. It's a shame there's not a simple way that that people could just go like to your website and sign up for something and get <laughs> writing advice on a fairly regular basis. Actually, yes, I, I do write about a lot of this stuff. I teach what I know. Um, it's, it's on my mailing list. It comes sporadically. I, it's sprinkled with many other things as well. But everything that I know about writing and publishing and my journey to get from being an uneducated child growing up in cult communes to and, and entering the world with a sixth grade education to being a New York Times bestselling thriller author uh, is shared by email. So if that, if that interests you, I, I strongly recommend that you get on my mailing list. And as listeners to this show know, I've been on your mailing list for quite some time, and I find it incredibly educational. There's a lot of information. As you mentioned, there's a lot of information just about writing. There's a lot about the mindset of the writer. And there's also a lot of information in there about the publishing business, which is very educational. And it it, it comes sporadically, maybe once a week or so on average. Uh, but it's always something that I look forward to. So if you're out there listening and you are you haven't subscribed yet to Taylor's email list, if, if this kind of show is interesting to you, uh, give it a try. So And that's at taylorstevensbooks.com, and then you just click on the Contact Me button, but right? There's a Connect With Me connect button with up me. at the Sorry. top. Yeah. Yep. Or you can just do taylorstevensbooks.com slash connect php dot php. Okay. All right. Next question is from Vigo. And that is, have you planned on writing a specific number of Monroe books? And if, when you're done with those, are there any other books that you would like to write? Uh, I've been getting this question ever since the information is published. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I don't have a set number of books in my mind, and uh, there always has to be a story. Like, I can't just churn out a Monroe story without having something to write about. So as long as I have Monroe stories in my head that I think would be exciting that my readers would want to read, then there will be another Monroe book. But I have many ideas for other books, many other books, and I just, you know, it's sort of like a cliche among writers that they have more ideas than they have time, and I'm kind of in that same boat. Okay, so that that's a, a great answer for that question. We've got one question left, and this is interesting. Uh, did you take writing classes? And if so, how much do you think they helped or hindered you? Well, I did not actually take writing classes. I've never had any um, formal education in writing or storytelling. Um, I did, I, I tell this story often when, um, when I'm doing author events and speaking about my journey into publishing. When I first got started, Barnes & Noble had what they called uh, BNN University, and you could take non-credited courses, and I did sign up for their uh, creative writing course. But then um, once I got logged in and I had bought the books that they, you know, the, the coursework, I realized this is a bad, bad, bad idea because uh, I had already grown up in an environment where I was never good enough. And so that I knew that I was going to be writing things I didn't care about to please people I didn't know. And I'd be wasting what little time I had. And up until that point, I had taught myself everything I knew um, by reading books. And so I was like, there's no reason I can't do the same thing through this. So I started with the, the Gotham Writers Workshop from the Iowa Creative Writing Course, I think. Um, and that's, that's where I got my start in learning how to write. But all that did was give me a foundation and the actual learning how to write came from the doing. And I've, I've gotten this question before. And actually, as we're doing this, I just pulled, pulled up something. This was from uh, one of the emails that I sent out on my writing, on my mailing list. And I talk about academic credentials versus talent because somebody else asked me this question. They said, in some writers' conferences I've attended, I've heard certain presenters emphasize the importance of MFAs or other academic credentials for writers. I've always thought that this misses the point of creativity as I don't believe that talent can be learned. To tell a story and to do so effectively doesn't take a pedigree, in my opinion. The success of your novels is proof of that. And I think what this person articulated very, very well was the, the concept of tell a story versus write a book. Because what MFAs do is they teach you how to write, but they don't teach you how to tell a story. Mm -hmm. And um, very few readers go into the books for the writing. And they appreciate the writing, but they don't go into that. They're in it for a story. And I do agree that talent can't be learned, but I do think that it's possible for it to be nurtured. Like, you know, somebody might have musical talent, but without that nurturing, they're never going to, you know, grow that natural ability. But at the same time, if they don't have that natural ability, no amount of, of nurturing is going to turn them into the next Yo-Yo Ma. So, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Like, I, I don't know how I would have ever turned out as a writer if I had done an MFA course. And I do know, notice that some of the most um, vitriolic hatred of my work <laughs> comes from MFA grads mm -hmm. and um, 
and aspiring authors. And I think the reason is, is that as when you're when you you learn the importance of words in writing, you're really good at picking out the flaws in other people's writing. And and I can see my own flaws, and I can see other writers' flaws too. And when when words become that important to you, you forget that most readers just don't freaking care. And so that sort of uh, high and mighty condescension comes down on people who are less good than you at writing. But you know what? They tell a freaking fantastic story, and that's why their books are selling. That's it. That's the end of our list of questions. But uh, a brief business lesson now, because I also do a podcast called The Author Biz. And whenever you post something to the Internet, uh, a blog post, uh, an essay like, like you post on your website, or even a podcast, there needs to be a call to action at the end. So uh, in, in our case, we're going to assume that people have already bought the book, I think. Right. Should we assume that? You guys, how much do you love me here? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we'll assume. All right, we're going to assume that. So if if this is your first episode, you've never heard of Taylor before, and you're intrigued by her, please go buy the book. Uh, it's The Mask. It's available everywhere. Um, but if, you, if you're if you a Taylor fan, uh, this is our pitch or my pitch to ask you to write a review wherever you bought the book. If you bought it at Barnes & Noble, write a review at barnesandnoble.com. If you, if you bought it at an independent bookstore, maybe write a review. If, if they have a place where you can write a review, do it there. If they don't, write a review at Amazon. It doesn't need to be a lengthy thing, but write a review. Write an honest review of the book and share your thoughts about it. Uh, it's incredibly important, like we talked about earlier about reviews for podcasts. It's incredibly important for books as well, and that's uh, a great way of of showing the author that you love her. Yes, please. <laughs> Any other words of wisdom before we wrap this up, Taylor? Well, um, I'm a little short on wisdom, but I'm <laughs> awful full of love and appreciation. <laughs> and so I hope to, that you guys will be with me again next week, and we'll see what next week brings us. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.